0: إنا الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سعيات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله الله واحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا أَبْدُهُ ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا تقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يُسْلِحْ لَكُمْ أَعْمَالَكُمْ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَمَنْ يُتِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدَ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا أما بعد فَإِنَّ أَصْتَقَى الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ وَخَيْرَ الهدي هَجُ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَالْشَّرْ وَالْأُمُورِ محدثاتها. وَكُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضُلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضُلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارٍ مرحبا بِكُمْ جَمِيعًا عَلَمٍ وسهلا. We continue with the Sunday Sisters Classes in which we are covering the Tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha and also <coughs> matters of jurisprudence connected to the woman. And lastly, <coughs> something from the biography of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad In the last class, We covered that which was connected to the virtues of mentioning Allah's name before doing actions. And we covered, it is recommended for one to mention Allah's name before making wudu. And it is upon one to mention Allah's name before eating. And he eats with his or her right hand and the person eats from that which is in front of them. And likewise, when one goes to have relations with his spouse, he mentions Allah's name and seeks the protection with Allah from the shaytan And the protection of Allah from the shaitan harming the child If a child is decreed to come from that union We covered that Allah is the proper name for the creator of the heavens and the earth And this is the greatest name from the names of Allah As all other names follow the name Allah as Allah states alladhi, la ilaha illahu, al-malikul, al-malikul kudusu, assalamu, To the end that he is Allah The one who none has the right to be worshipped except for him He is Al-Malik He is Al-Quddus He is As-Salam He is Al-Mu'min He is Al-Muhaymin He is Al-Aziz He is Al-Jabbar he is al-mutakabbir to the end. Allah also mentions in the verse that follows, "Huwa Allah al 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 labul labul-Asmā'ul-Husnā." So, he is Allah al-Khalik al-Bari al-Musawir. For him are the beautiful names. So, all of Allah's names are beautiful. All of Allah's names are beautiful. And Allah جل, He has many names. And from those names, there are 99 names that are within the Kitab and the Sunnah. That if we memorize them, then for us is the paradise. As Abu Huraira anhu, mentioned, Anna Rasulallah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لِلَّهِ تِسْعَةً إِسْمًا مِئَةً إِلَّا وَاحِدًا مَنْ دَخَلَ Indeed, for Allah, there are 99 names, 100 minus 1. Whoever memorizes them enters into the Powerless. And what's meant by memorizing the 99 names, It doesn't mean just memorizing the name itself Rather it is memorizing the name And living one's life in accordance to what that name entails As an example, Allah is As-Samir We believe that His name is As-Samir which means the all-hearing. So Allah has the characteristic of hearing. So therefore, we're mindful, and we're careful regarding that which we speak. Because we do not want Allah to hear us saying that which is inappropriate. We know that Allah جل, He is al-basir. Therefore, we are careful regarding what we do because Allah is the all-seeing and Allah is al-khabir, the all-aware. As Allah mentioned, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرِ And there's nothing similar to him and he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. And Allah azza wa Allah mentioned, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بما تعملون خبيرا. That indeed Allah, He is all aware of that which you do. So we memorize the name, and also we strive to live our lives in accordance to what the name entails. And this is what is intended here in the narration, which is in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. That Allah, He has 99 names, 100 minus 1 in 99 names that you can find in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. And not that Allah only has 99 names. Rather, Allah has more than 99 names. And the scholars themselves have extracted from the Qur'an and the Sunnah more than 99 names. But they are names that Allah has kept to Himself and has not informed anyone From his creation of We cover that Allah Azza wa Jal He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Ar-Rahman Dhul-Rahmatil Wasi'ah Ar-Rahim Dhul-Rahmatil Wasi'ah That Allah Azza wa Jal Is Ar-Rahman The Possessor of Vast Mercy And he is Ar-Rahim the possessor of the mercy That reaches whomsoever he wills From his creation And specifically the believers So Allah Azza wa is Ar-Rahman with all of his creation Allah's mercy extends over all of the creation Allah is Ar-Rahman Yani ar of Allah That everyone Gets a portion of, but as for Al-Rahim, then Allah is Al-Rahim with the believers, as Allah states, Wa kana رَحِيمًا and Allah جل, He is rahim with the believers. Some of the, the Arab they denied knowing the name of Rahman as we have during the Treaty of hudaybiyah when the Prophet ﷺ was agreeing to the contract or the treaty of peace between him and the Quraysh. He said to Ali bin Abi Talib Uktub Bismillahi Rahmanir Rahim write in the name of Allah, the most merciful the bestower of mercy. And this shows also that it is from the Sunnah of the Prophet to begin one's writings with Bismillahi Rahmanir Rahim, even when you're writing something and dealing with the kuffar and this is our religion. And one should not be ashamed of that. So they said to him, We do not know ar Rahman, nor do we know Ar Rahim. And in some of the narrations that is stated. La na'rifu ar-Rahman illa الْيَمَامَةِ rahman al-Yamama. He said, We do not know any ar-Rahman except for Rahman al-Yamama, meaning Musaylima al-Kadhab, the one who claimed to be the most merciful of the people of Yamama and claimed to be a prophet besides the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi So some of the so they rejected the writing of Ar-Rahman Allah Azza wa He states he states in his book Qul udurullah Awadur Rahman ayy ma tad'u falahul asmaul husna Say Call upon Allah or call upon Ar-Rahman Whatever you call him by For him is the most beautiful names Meaning whatever you call him by from his names For him is the most beautiful names So Allah Azza wa Jal established that he is Ar-Rahman And they wanted from the Prophet to write Bismika Allahumma In In your name, O Allah And they also wanted the Prophet sallallahu to remove from himself that he was the messenger of Allah And they said, "How we known you are the messenger? We would not have fought against you." I don't know. But some of them they acknowledge. <coughs> Who Ar-Rahman is In any event Allah Azawajal is Ar-Rahman He is Ar-Rahim These are two names Of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala That entail mercy We come to the statement of Allah Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Some of the ulama' hold that this is the first ayah in Surah Al-Fatiha and not r-Rahim. They say that the Basmala r-Rahim, is an independent verse and Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen is the first verse. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen all of the praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the creation. The meaning of Alhamdulillah, khadisan, ma yu'bad duni. that the praise or the thanks and the gratitude is for Allah alone, excluding. Everything that is worship besides Him. And the praise here is the praise of worship, not the praise that we may do to one another in speaking good about one another. This type of praise is not considered praise of worship, rather, it is praise from the aspect of mentioning something good about your fellow brother or sister and the likes. Ask for the praise of worship Which entails a person like lowering on himself And humbling on himself And uh, being grateful for all that one has Because it came from... That's only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is shown gratitude for two things. The shukra is for Allah, number one, for the ni for the bounties, for the blessings. As Allah stated, وَمَا بِكُم مِّن نِعْمَةٍ فَمِّنَ Whatever you have of a ni'mah is from Allah. So we, we thank Allah and we praise Allah due to the blessings that He has bestowed upon us. And the ni'mah of Allah are of two categories. the nimatul al and the You have the religious blessings and then you have the worldly blessings. From the religious blessings, number one, being a Muslim. That's a blessing from Allah. As Allah mentions, al-yawmah أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي لَكُمْ Today, I have completed for you your religion and I have perfected my favor upon you. Allah described Islam as being his favor upon the people. So the ni'mah of Islam is a religious ni'mah and I am pleased for you Islam as your deen. So it shows being guided to Islam, that's a ni'mah that's deeniyah. Uh, as Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned to the Prophet They treat their Islam as a favor upon you When you are Muhammad Say don't treat your Islam as a favor upon me But rather it is Allah who put his favor upon you That he guided you to faith if you are truthful So being guided to Islam is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then on top of that ni'mah of being guided to Islam generally, meaning being a Muslim, you have the ni'mah of being upon the sunnah. Because not every Muslim is upon the sunnah. So being guided to Islam is one thing, and then being guided to the sunnah is another Ni'mah in itself As you have some of the Imams Of the Salaf They will say Or they heard an individual say All praise due to Allah Alhamdulillah <laughs> Alladhi hadana ila al-Islam all praise is due to Allah, the one who has guided us, guided us to Islam and then they will add was-sunnah.
1: And the one who guided
0: us to the sunnah. Because the majority of the Muslims, unfortunately, they have strayed away from the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. Not to the point where they're non-Muslims, they're still Muslims. But then the intricate details of aqidah and the ibadah, how the Prophet worshiped, you find the majority of the Muslims, unfortunately, their belief is not the same belief as the Prophet wasallam, And their worship is not the same worship as the Prophet wasallam. although they are still within the fold of Islam. And the Prophet testified to this when he stated, هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةَ عَلَىٰ ثَلَاثٍ وَسَبْعِينَ كُلُهَا فِي النَّارِ إِلَّا واحدة. And this nation will split into 73 groups, all of them in the fire except for one that shows that the majority of the Muslims, they, they go astray. And they said, "Ya Rasulullah, Mahiya مَا هِيَ تَلْكَ الْفِرْقَةِ قَالَ مَن كَانَ عَلَى مَا أَنَا عَلَيْهِ الْيَوْمُ So when the Sahaba, they said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, which group are you talking about? He said, those who are upon what me and my companions are upon today. So they are the minority. So if a person is guided to be from that minority, this is a ni'mah on top of the ni'mah, of being within the fold of Islam. From the religious bounties is being a person who has memorized the Quran, being a person who prays his five daily prayers. All of this is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you show gratitude to Allah for the ni'mah that Allah has given you Then that itself is in need of another display of gratitude Meaning showing thanks You need to thank Allah for allowing you to show thanks SubhanAllah That was mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad ibn, uh Saliq That when Allah blesses you To show gratitude for ni'mah Then thank Allah for allowing you to show gratitude Because not everybody is grateful not everybody Most of the people are ungrateful Alhamdulillah When a person praises Allah And shows gratitude Allah increases them وَلَا la لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ And if you show gratitude I will indeed increase you So we show gratitude for النعم الدينية The second ni'm Is النعم الدينية The worldly blessings Like good health being financially stable, having a family. And these are things from the worldly uh, matters that Allah Azzawajal has blessed an individual with. And a person is to thank Allah Azzawajal for that. But the greatest of the two bounties is the religious bounty. Because the religious bounty is a, not only a benefit in this life, but also a benefit in the hereafter. Whereas the worldly bounties is just that, worldly bounties. Unless we use them to please Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, Creating us part of it or for creating us? Is it part of it or it's not? What do you mean? Thanking Allah for creating me as a person. Making you as a Muslim. Because you're created for worship. So when you fulfill your purpose, when you fulfill that purpose, Of your creation Allah has blessed you to Recognize what you're created for And then you carry it out That's a favor from Allah The majority of the people They do not know their purpose in life The majority of the people in the world And unfortunately Some of the Muslims Fall into that category I'm going to say most or all But some of the Muslims If you ask them Why has Allah created you? They can't give you the religious answer. Right, they don't understand. And they don't know uh, what Allah has said about this. And I have not created the jinnah of the mankind except to worship me. You have some Muslims who don't know this, unfortunately. I mean, they're Muslims, don't get me wrong. They make their salats, they fast in Ramadan. But when you ask them, what is the purpose of creation? They don't know that. Is for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So that a person Is guided to know Why he or she has been created And then on top of that The person goes to carry out That purpose A favor on top of a favor Some people know their purpose in life But they don't carry it out Like when the prophets The messengers They went to the people And they called them to (laughs) lie They informed these people of their purpose in life, but they turned the way. So they had the knowledge, but they didn't follow up with the actions. And then, alhamdulillah, you have those, they know the purpose, and then they carry it out. And this is a bounty from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what's important is that we never Take the worldly blessings to be greater than the religious blessings. That's very important. The religion is more important than your worldly affairs. As you find the ulama, they have stated from them, Ibn Taymiyyah, from them, Imam Ahmed and others, that the knowledge of the religion, knowing the religion, we are, more, we are in more need of that, than we are in need of food and drink. Some have stated because food and drink, you may need food and drink once, twice, three times in a day. Whereas the religious knowledge, you are in need of religious knowledge throughout your day in its entirety. Why? So that you can be on a straight path. Or, as Ibn Taymiyyah stated, that if a person he doesn't have food, clothing, and shelter, then the only thing that's going to happen is the physical death. But if he doesn't have and know that which the Prophet came with, and he dies in that state, then what happens is eternal punishment in the hereafter. So this is an indication that the religion is more important than the worldly affairs And this doesn't mean now That a person uh, forgets his portion of the dunya Allah as wajal, commands us not to forget our portion of the dunya But don't make the dunya the most important aspect in your life To where you're sacrificing and compromising your religion for the dunya Rather the dunya is was to be sacrificed for the religion And not the opposite way around You never sacrifice your religion for the dunya. The dunya is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The dunya is in the hands of Allah. Not in your hands, not in the hands of the people. Allah controls this. It's your responsibility to put forth the effort and put your trust in Allah. As for what you're going to get, your risk is already determined. So you just strive and what the result at the end is with Allah. So there's no need for one to sacrifice his or her religion for the dunya because you are only going to get what Allah has decreed for you anyway. So there's no sense in, in, in sacrificing your religion trying to get more of the dunya when you only want to get what Allah has decreed. So with this being said, we look at the Prophet Wasallam when he was calling the people to la ilaha illallah and they wanted him to stop. What did they do? They made them an offer. Give you the leadership, we give you the wealth, and the best of the woman. The three fittings for the du'at and the callers and the people who are upon the religion Uh, leadership, wealth, and fulfilling the desires. But the Prophet he understood the importance of his mission, and his duty and responsibility that Allah placed upon him, he turned it down. And what a blessed and beautiful Prophet he was, and an example he was for all of us. Naam. So the Hamd, Alhamdulillah, The praise is for Allah, and the gratitude is for Allah alone for the bounties. The second reason why we praise Allah is due to that which Allah possesses of the beautiful names and lofty attributes which are perfect. So Allah is to be praised due to His perfection. So one, for that which he has done for us And favored us with And number two, for that which he possesses So these two areas This is the Tawheed of Lordship And the Tawheed of the asma wa Sifat. The praise comes from us to him For those two things And then together you have the three categories of monotheism monotheism of Lordship, Tawheed al The monotheism of worship, Tawheed al And then the monotheism of the names and attributes of Allah, Tawheed al-Asma wa Sifat This verse also entails one of the pillars of Ibada al mahabbah Every act of worship is built upon three pillars Al-Mahabba Al-Raja Wal-Khawf Love, Hope and Fear Anytime we carry out an act of ibadah These three things must be present Love, Hope and Fear The statement Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen This entails the love We praise Allah because we love Him And this is a part of this praise being the praise of worship because we're doing it out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and acknowledging that Allah azza wa jal is perfect and complete and He is deserving of these praises as Allah Allah azza wa jal described Himself as being al-hamid the all Praiseworthy, meaning the one who is entitled to all praise Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of the creation, and Allah Azza wa is the Khalik, Al Khalik. He is Al Malik. He is the one who has created, He is the one who owns the creation. Alam, with a fatha over the lamb, is everything besides Allah. A'lam Na'alim A'lam A'lam is one who has knowledge Allah is also the lord of those who have knowledge But here is A'lam A'lamin Some people unfortunately Yes the whole creation A'lamin is the entire creation Angels, jinn, human beings The sea world, plant world Everything in creation so, Alameen is the, is the plural of Alam وَهُوَ kullu مَوْجُودٍ سِوَى الله. So, Alameen is the plural of Alam and it is everything that is in existence besides Allah. Some of the scholars, they stated Al-Alam, كُلُّ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ فِي وَالْآخِرَةِ <coughs> That the Alam, is everything that Allah has created in the life of this world as well as in the hereafter. So everything besides Allah is alam, with over the lamb. As for alim, then this is one who is knowledgeable. And unfortunately, some have recited. This verse is as Alhamdulillahi Rabbil al-alimeen. This is incorrect, Alameen So this praise that we give to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is a praise that is based upon love A praise that entails showing gratitude to Allah And the gratitude is shown to Allah with the heart acknowledging that the blessing is from Allah, with the tongue, thanking Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessing, mentioning that which Allah has favoured us with, Rabbi and ask for the favour of your Lord, then mention it, meaning mention it to the people who love you, to the people that when you mention it to them, this will be a means of showing gratitude and also Uh, A means of informing the people of the good That Allah has blessed you with As an encouragement for them To strive to receive good And also we show gratitude to Allah With our actions Using that which Allah Has given us For his worship Anyone who does not have this characteristic. And that is the characteristic of being the Lord of all creation. Does not have the right to be worshipped. Now, anyone who does not have this characteristic... Does not have the right to be worshipped. If a person is not the Lord of creation, everything, then that person or that thing should not be worshipped. Yes, a person can be the landlord, the Lord of the land, the owner. The person can be the Lord of the car, meaning he's the owner. So a person can be a lord from that sense of that which he owns. But that's it. You're the lord of your house because you're the owner of your house and Fulan, he's the lord of his house. The point is that you don't own what this person owns and this person doesn't own what you own. So the the people's Description of being lords Meaning owners Is deficient and restricted To only that which is their possession Whereas Allah Owns everything in creation And the ownership That we have is a temporary ownership Because what we have today Is gone tomorrow Sometimes We own things, and then we die, and then somebody else owns it. Sometimes we own things, and we lose everything we own. But we remain alive, but the property is gone. Sometimes we perish with our property. Sometimes that happens. A person perishes with his property. His property is destroyed, and he goes with the property. And that's life No one is an owner In the unrestricted sense Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So for this reason Allah is to be praised With all of the praise As for the kings of the dunya The leaders of the dunya Their ownership is temporary Their ownership is temporary And is restricted The king of one land Is not the king in another land well the leader in one land is not the leader in another land Each people, their leaders in their respective areas Then even in that, people under them still have their own private ownership So the point of Allah is saying all of the praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the creation That's why He is entitled to that praise because He is the Lord of everything now, <laughs> we continue with the matters of jurisprudence connected to the woman, and we come to the matter of Tadhirul Najasa purifying impurities how the purification of impurities is to be carried out that which is the first thing to be mentioned is that water is the origin of purifying impurities water we covered that water is of two categories: al-ma' al tahir and al-ma' al-najis. You have the pure water, which is pure within itself, and it can purify other than itself. And then you have the impure water, which is impure. And cannot purify others, or al At-Tuhur, the pure water, which is pure within itself and can purify others, and then you have the impure water, which cannot purify other than itself, as it itself is impure. And we cover that the impure water is the water that its color, taste, or smell has changed due to something from impurities falling into it the color the taste or the smell falling into or changing the color of the water or the taste of the water or the smell of the water if one of these three things have been changed by an impurity then the water has become impure As for when the water has been changed by something pure, then even though that liquid may be pure, if it turns into something else, it cannot be used for purification. As an example, you put tea bag inside of the water. The tea bag overcomes the water, turns the water into tea. Tea itself is pure, but you can't use it for purification because it's no longer water. So once that pure substance has changed it into something else, it loses the characteristic of being water and being able to purify. So you can't, as an example, you can't make wudu with tea. uh, 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 Who? If it's no, if it's not water, if it if it's no longer water, the rule has changed. That's the point the scholars mentioned. Like for instance, sometimes soap soap falls into water, but it's still water. Or sometimes a pure substance may fall into the water, and the color may change a little bit. Like sometimes near the river docks or the streams, the leaves fall into the water, the water may turn a little color, but it's still water. As long as it is still considered to be water, then like you can make wudu from it, you can make gusul from it. So the point is that water is the origin when it comes to the purification of the impurities and nothing takes the place of water except by the allowance from the legislation. When it comes to the woman, the blood of menstruation, this blood is impure. If this blood gets upon her garment, it is upon her to purify her garment. From the blood And she is not to just leave it Upon Her garment For if she leaves The blood Of the monthly cycle Upon the garment Then this garment is Impure And one cannot Or the woman cannot pray In this garment So we have the narration when the, the the narration on the authority of Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr, She mentioned that a woman came to the Prophet and said That one of us Nam Yarasullah, Ihdana Yusibu Thauba Mindam Al Hayd Kayfatasna, O Messenger of Allah, one of us women. She would get the blood of menstruation upon her garment. What is she to do? The Prophet said, To Thumma Bilma Thumma Tandahu Fi. The Prophet said to her, to Take the garment, put it together, put the water on it, and then wash it rub it and get the, um, the blood out of it and then rinse it out and then pray in the garment. So the Prophet sallallahu informing this Sahabiya to wash the garment, to rub it and this is in order to get the blood out of the garment. This is an indication that the blood of menses is impure. The menstruation blood isn't pure. And Allah Himself, He mentions "فاعتزلوا النساء فِي الْمَحِيدِ وَلَا تَقْرَبُهُنَّ حَتَّى يَتْخُرْنَ And keep away from the woman in the place of their menses. And do not go near to them until they become pure. And was meant by keep away from the men, keep away from the woman during the menses, meaning the place where the menses is at, not the woman in herself. Different from the methodology of the Jews, where they will put their woman out of the home. When these women, uh, would Be observing their monthly cycles So they went to the extremes They wouldn't touch these women They wouldn't have no contact with the women And then you have the Nasara Who's extremely negligent To the point that they have relations with their women During the time of their menses We are in the middle, walhamdulillah We don't totally abandon them Nor do we totally engage them so yes, we still, they're still to be in the homes. We touch them. A man is allowed to kiss his wife when she's in her menses or observing her menses and she's allowed to touch him as Aisha radiallahu anha will be on her monthly cycle and she'll be combing the hair of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa once requested Aisha to go into the masjid and get his prayer mat. And she said, I'm on my menses. He said, your menses is not in your hands. So she went and got the prayer mat for him. And the Prophet ﷺ himself used to uh, engage in uh, kissing his wives and caressing them while they were on their menses. He would wrap a waist garment around them, he will not go below the waist. And this is in all to show the balance of Islam and that the woman is not to be neglected during this time because of that which Allah has decreed for the woman to have uh, of a monthly cycle, being the daughters of Hawa. And at the same time, we're not like the, the Nasara who continue to do everything as if the woman uh, is in a normal situation So that Allah He commands that we Keep away from the woman during the menses Meaning the area of the menses Because their blood is impure And do not go near to them Until they become pure And what's meant by do not go Near to them Until they become pure Meaning don't have relations with them The Prophet وسلم, He said regarding this verse, اسنعوا كل شيء إلا nikah He said, do everything with the woman except for having sexual relations with them during this time. So it shows that the woman can be touched, the woman can be kissed, the woman can be caressed, but is not allowed to have relations with them during this time. So this blood, if it gets on the garment, it is to be washed thoroughly so that the blood comes out. And the fingers are to be used, as we know in in these days and times, they didn't have washing machines back then. Or in those days and times, they didn't have washing machines back then. So they would use their hands to get out the blood. Uh, as for days in time, if the washing machine does the job, then this is fine. There's no harm in using the washing machine to wash the garment. And the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, and this is in the narration of Um Qais bint Muhsan, قالت سألت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن دم يَكُونَ فِي الثَوْبِ قَالَ حُكِّيهِ بِذِرْعَ وَقْسِرِيهِ wa وَصَدْرٍ So the Prophet وسلم, he was asked by Umm Qais about the menstruation blood that's in the garment. And the Prophet told her to use like a bone or that which is hard to scrape it out and then to wash it with water and sitter, showing that not only are you just gonna wash it with water, but you also use something of good fragrance to clean it out. And in this day and time, we have soap, soap powder and the likes. This can be, the scholars they say, uh, this can be used. The soap powder can be used. The, uh, the the laundry detergent and stuff can be used, as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had commanded, that the woman she add the sidr to the on um, the water, the to wash her garment that um. That has the menstruation blood upon it. And that's for the purpose, barakallah fikum, of adding to getting the, uh, the blood out of the garment. And also to give a good smell because the, the blood of menstruation is different from regular blood. Number one, it is dark in color. Number two, it is thick and coarse. And number three, it has an odor. Different from the regular blood, there's reddish in color, thin, and it has no odor. The blood of menses has an odor. So if it gets on the garment, it can leave an odor or smell upon the garment. So the Prophet Sallallahu uh, commanded that the, the garment not only be washed with water but the cedar is to be put in the water. And this is like a plant that has um it has a scent to it, so when you mix it with the water, the water takes on uh, the scent. Sorry, is that. Sometimes when you're on a topic. Just hold it, because this is for the sisters, inshallah. It's relevant, and I would suggest. Does that mean the um, uh, method of washing um, menstruate blood is different from? the najasa differs there in this cleaning and we're going to cover that as you're going to see that in some cases with certain impurities water is just sprinkled over it and the, the garment is not washed but the blood of minces is one of those heavy uh, impurities, huh? If it, it if it gets it out, if it gets it out, If it gets it out, but um, generally speaking, people wash with water, and and and, they, and especially in those times, their hands and the like. So, the Prophet Sallallahu oh, Alaihi had told the woman to use like a the, um, a bone. Or that was whatever is hard that can be used to scrub it, to get the blood out and to wash it. Yes, and even even here in America, I remember personally my grandmother. um, Growing up, she had a a a washboard, and this is they they were laundry mats. But my grandmother, she had a a washboard under the tub. And it was like made out of wood, and then you had like the the, the metal part, yeah. and it was like a like ripples. And she would—I remember seeing her in the in the bathroom. And she took the jeans and and she would wash with the hand on, scrubbing on that board, and the clothes used to come out very clean. Yeah. Sometimes clean, and then the laundromat. Mm-hmm. But um, the Prophet said a lot. They was in those times. There were no laundromats. So, the the method of cleaning was by hand in in those times. No, I'm talking about the water. I understand. But here, the Prophet, if you look at the other narration, there was no mentioning of putting sitar in the water. But in this narration, he mentioned sitar. So, it's not mandatory to use uh, the sitar. But this is something that is recommended or allowed. It's allowed to use. And the scholars they say that which takes the place of Sidr like an hour time, the detergent and the soap that we use for the cleaning of the clothes, there's no harm uh, in using that as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to Um Qais, to use the Sidr and the water to clean the garment. Another point, Barakallah feekun. When washing the garment from the, the blood of the menses, sometimes the, the blood itself is gone. Yes. The blood itself is gone, meaning the actual blood is gone. But there is still the stain from the blood itself. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he addressed this matter. And alhamdulillah, you know, this is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That all of our affairs in life have been addressed. All our affairs in life uh, have been addressed. There's nothing in our lives as Muslims that is void of some guidance from the religion. Every matter That we can think of You go to the Quran You go to the Sunnah There is a solution There is a response It's just that the people unfortunately They don't know the answers And this is where the problem comes Certain, certain sometimes they give you of
1: something you don't even know we have the
0: narration on the authority of Abu Hurairah that khawla bint yasar atat al Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fa ya Rasulallah, إنه ليس لي إلا ثوب واحد وأنا ASNA, إذا, طهرت إذا طهرت ثم صلي فيه. فقالت فإن لم يخرج الدم قال يكفيك <laughs> Abu Hurairah, he mentioned that Khawla, the daughter of Yasar came to the Prophet ﷺ and said O Messenger of Allah, indeed I only have one garment and I menstruate in that garment so what am I to do? The prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he stated, When you become clean, wash it and then pray in it. She said, what if the blood doesn't come out of it? He said, washing the blood suffices you and the trace that is left behind after washing it doesn't harm you. So that which is taken from this narration is that when the woman washes her garment And then the traces Of the blood remain in the garment Then it does not mean that the garment is not pure Because she washed the blood off That's the point point. And from the washing It may leave a stain Or depending on how long Or how much the blood soaked into the garment It may leave a stain in the garment in any event after she has washed the garment, she's washed the blood off then that suffices so and if there is a trace left behind after the washing then this does not affect the purity of the garment and it is allowed for her to pray in that garment and this here, Barakallahu fikum, shows the leniency of the legislation of Islam because trying to get that trace of the blood out will be a hardship upon the woman, especially in those times. And in, especially in this case of khawla where she only had one garment. So now what is she to do not to pray until she gets the trace out? It may take a while. She may miss a prayer or the likes. Alhamdulillah for the leniency uh, in this legislation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not placed upon the people a burden greater than their capability as Allah states لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسْعَهَا that Allah does not burden a person or soul beyond this capability. Also the scholars have mentioned washing it is what is sufficient As for the traces remaining after washing the blood out, then there's no harm in that because the removal of the stain from the garment is something that is very difficult. Also, the scholars have stated that one should try to get it to get the, the blood out of the garment This is why the prophet said Use the bone Or that which is hard Or the prophet mentioned Putting the garment together And scrubbing it Or using your fingernails To get the blood out of the garment But after A woman has done this And then the trace is still there It's not upon her It's not upon her To remove uh, this trace As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned That washing it is sufficient And its trace that remains behind Does not harm you Another point uh, to be mentioned is that the, the blood of the postnatal bleeding takes the ruling of the blood of the menses. and that blood is impure and it is to be washed as for the blood of istihadah the irregular bleeding then that blood is pure if that blood gets upon the garment it is not mandatory that the blood is washed It is not mandatory that the blood is washed. But from the aspect of cleanliness, one would wash it. Not because the blood is impure, but because of cleanliness. And as we covered before, the blood of istihadah, the irregular bleeding, does not prevent the woman from praying, nor does it prevent her from fasting. But the blood of the menses and the blood of postnatal bleeding, the bleeding that comes after a woman has given birth or even if a woman has had a miscarriage and the embryo that was miscarried had begin to take on the form of a human being, which is as some scholars state, after the eighty day period it starts to take the form is shape in the form of a human being. From that period on, that blood is the blood of Nifas. It is the blood of Nifas. So it takes the ruling of being imperial. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een amma ba'd we continue with something from the biography of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we are still covering some aspects and narrations that are connected to our mother Khadijah Radiallahu Anha. In the last class we have left off with the narration on the authority of Aisha Radiallahu Anha. قَالَتْ لَمْ يَتَّزَوُّجِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم عَلَىٰ خَدِيجَةَ حَتَّى مَاتَتْ That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم did not marry any woman other than Khadijah until she died. So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was married uh, to Khadijah for about 25 years and he was with her alone. And the scholars have mentioned that Khadija radiallahu anha, she sufficed, the Prophet sallallahu from needing any other woman, as she was all the woman that he had needed. And the Prophet sallallahu never married another woman until Khadija died. And after uh, Khadija, radiallahu anha, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, did marry more than one woman, and we cover that this is no slight to the other wives of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but rather it is an indication of the great virtue of Khadija, radiyallahu anha, and all of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They are women of virtue And they are the best of the Muslim women As they are the mothers of the believers We have a narration on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha Call it Ma ala Nabi Sallallahu alayhi wa Illa ala وَإِنِّي لَمْ أُدْرِكْهَا وَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِذَا ذَبَحَ أَشَّاءَ فَيَكُولَ أَرُسِلُوا بِهَا إِلَىٰ أصدقائي خَدِيجَةَ عَيْشَ رضي اللَّهُ عَنْهَا She stated, "I was never jealous of any of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, except for Khadija. I was not jealous of any other wives, except for Khadija." And then she stated, and I never met her. She said, the messenger ﷺ, he would slaughter a sheep. And then he would say, send it to the friends of Khadija. Allah. The Messenger sallam he would slaughter a sheep, and then he would say, I send it to Khadija, the friends of Khadija. قالت فأغضقته يوما فقلت Khadijah. وقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إني قد رزقت حبها، so عائشة رضي الله عنها She said, I made him angry one day. Meaning, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And she said, Khadija. And he said, Indeed, I have been. Given or Nam, I have been given or it has been placed in my heart the love for her. This narration, barakallahu feekum is a tremendous narration. Establishing the status Of our mother Khadija radiallahu anha As Aisha radiallahu anha She herself is saying that She was never jealous Of any woman Except for Khadija. And she said, Inni lam udrikha, never met her. Wakana Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? the ba hasha for your call, biha ila astika Khadija. So when the Messenger of Allah, when he would slaughter a sheep, he would say, Send it to the friends of Khadija. So she said, فَأَغْضَبْتُهُ I made him angry one day when I said, Khadija? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى الله عليه وسلم قد رزقت حبها. Indeed, I have been, uh, the love for her has been placed into my heart, or placed into me, or I have been provided or given the love of her. Number one, barakallahu feekum, is the statement of Aisha radiallahu anha that she was never jealous of any of the wives of the Prophet wasallam except for Khadija. And what was this due to? This was due to the Prophet's great love that he had for Khadijah, And this was apparent that even after the death of Khadija, عنها, the Prophet would still remember her and still think about her. And that showed in him doing good to the friends of Khadijah after the death of Khadijah. anha. As there's a narration on Aisha ista'zanad Hala bint Khuwaylid, Uqt Khadija, ala Rasulilahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fa'arafa istid'ana khadijah fa rtaaha Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned that Hala the daughter of Khawilid the sister of Khadijah sought permission to enter upon the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he remembered Khadijah meaning the way the Sister sought permission to enter upon the Messenger her voice resembled the voice of Khadija so when he heard her voice it reminded him of Khadija and he became relaxed and at ease over this so these are things Aisha she saw she experienced so there was some jealousy and not that she had a hatred uh, for Khadija radiallahu anha. Never was that the case. But rather, she recognized that Khadija radiallahu anha had something with the Prophet sallallahu that she didn't have. And she wished that she could have had that also. And this is like the permissible jealousy of seeing your Muslim brother or sister with something of good, something of virtue, religious virtue, and you would like to have it also without wishing that the other one didn't have it, or without enmity and hatred, and without uh, questioning the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So alhamdulillah, She said that she was, you know, not jealous of any woman from the wives of the Prophet Alaihi Wasallam said for Khadija. So the Prophet Wasallam, from his goodness is that he continued to honor Khadija even after her death. And this is an example of a good husband. That after the death of his wife, he doesn't forget her. Especially if she was a good wife to him. A wife that was very supportive and aided him and strengthened him. And was a part of his success and a part of that which he had become. A part of his strengthening and other than that. A man should never forget a woman like this. As the Prophet sallallahu he did not forget Khadija, anha. So he would send the slaughtered animal to the friends of Khadija, anha, as a means of honoring Khadija by honoring the friends of Khadija after the death of Khadija. So one day, and, and this shows that he used to do this often, it wasn't something that he did once. As the word is mentioned, وَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ إِذَا ذَبَحَ That when the Messenger would slaughter a sheep, he would do this. So from the wording it appears, that this is something that happened on more than one occasion Wallahu alam As the honoring of one's wife is not a one-time thing It's something that is continuous Especially a woman of the caliber of Khadija radiallahu anha And this goes to show Barakallahu feekum wufikunna My noble sisters in Islam That when you are a good woman To a good man that your goodness does not go unnoticed and it is not unappreciated rather it is appreciated in your life and it will be appreciated even after your death as the Prophet appreciated Khadija even after her death So one day Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned I made him upset one day Meaning she upset the Prophet وسلم, By saying Khadija And it was the manner That she stated it And this came as a result of her jealousy. As again the Prophet he used to do this continuously and honor the friends of Khadijah. So Aisha anha said Khadijah like you know, like again you wanna send something to the friends of Khadijah or you're mentioning her again. And again, no one is to take this that Aisha anha, hated Khadija. You know, sometimes you have between co-wives, they don't like each other. And this shouldn't be. As you are Muslim sisters. And yes, issues come about. Yes, problems arise. But Allah mentioned, إِنَّ مَنْ مُؤْمِنُونَ Indeed, the believers are nothing but brothers and this includes sisters to one another. So there shouldn't be enmity and hatred between the Muslims. Even though there is, there shouldn't be. Especially between co-wives as they share the same husband and they are under the same household. Even when living in different homes, they're still under the same husband. So there shouldn't be any enmity and hatred. And yes, things come about and happen. And no problem is present except that it can be worked out and dealt with according to the religion. But it takes for people to be responsible and to have the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to do that which is pleasing to Allah in all situations, even when one may become upset. And not to allow one's emotions and feelings to govern their life, but let the legislation govern one's life. So one day she made the Prophet upset by saying, Khadija. So the Prophet responded by saying, Inni qat ruziptu hubbaha. That indeed I have been given Or it has been placed within me Love for her This is an evidence Of a virtue Of Khadija radiallahu anha That the Prophet wasallam Is basically saying Allah has put this love in my heart For her and the love that was in the heart of the Prophet ﷺ for Khadijah Was due to the type of woman she was And the good and the love that she displayed to him So again, he was appreciative of that And he never forgot that which Khadijah did for him Did he love Aisha? For sure he loved Aisha ﷺ when the people asked him, Who are the most beloved of the people to you? What was his response? He said, Aisha. Then it was said in front of the men, he said, Her father. So of course the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he loved No. Say that again, sir. Sure. Like, no, the Prophet he loved Aisha. Yeah, when she said uh, No, there is a narration where she had basically said to the prophet ﷺ, Halakat fit dahr, Allahu minha. that she has died a long time ago and Allah has given you better than her inshallah ta'ala we want to deal uh, with this narration uh... In the next class or the one after. but well, this was the statement of Aisha radiallahu anha, that okay, Khadija was good to you, and you had your time with her, but I'm here now, you know. And this is just, just her being or being a woman. She's a human being radiallahu anha, and she has feelings. And the Prophet Alaihi Wasallam he was definitely a considerate of the feelings of Aisha radiallahu anha, but at the same time, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Because of the great virtue of Khadija And that which Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Has placed in his heart uh, for Khadija For sure, for sure And, and, and that will come is when the people didn't believe Khadija was the first to believe Khadija radiAllahu Anha Supported him with her wealth Nam and all of this, and there, there, and she had his children, you know, and there are other things. No, they are mentioned in, in in the explanations of the scholars, and and uh, some of the meanings of the narrations of why she will have that house of Qasab of the long uh, cane stalks, and that wasn't. Uh, a terminology that we use, that when people would race, they would put like these sugarcane stalks out. And whoever reached it first, then that one was the winner. So this, her house was described as being like this, because she preceded uh, the rest of the wives, to things that they never had, like having his children, and, and other than that. Abu Khadijah, as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned, that Allah had placed the love of her in his heart. And that's a virtue of Khadija radiallahu anha, being that it is Allah who put that deep love into the heart of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was So, when he mentioned this to Aisha, this is when she upset him, and here. The Prophet did not scream at Aisha. He did not curse at Aisha, nor did he physically put his hands upon Aisha. And this is an example for the men that when their wives upset them, then they are to respond in a manner that's legislated. Here, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned that the love of her was placed into him, meaning by Allah. And that subhanahu wa ta'ala, what better response can one give than reminding someone of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala when being upset. But unfortunately, there have come complaints from the women about how their husbands respond to them when they are upset. You find that brothers are physically abusing their wives due to being upset. You find that some of the husbands are talking down to their wives Using vulgar language when they are upset And other than that, from that which is not from the religion or the mannerisms of the Prophet We remind the brothers to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding the woman. As the woman, they are a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Women are not punching bags. Women are not your slaves. These are your wives. These are your sisters in Islam. Treat your wife like you would want your daughter to be treated. And here we have from the best of the women. Upsetting the best of the men, it happens. It happens. Aisha radiAllahu anha. She is from the best of the women. She is the female scholar of this ummah. The one that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said is the most beloved to him. But even she upset the Prophet sallallahu wasallam before. So, how much more so for our women who are not on that level? So, don't think, brothers, that your, your wives are never going to make you upset. It, it's possible. And it's possible that, mashallah, you may not have never experienced that from your wife. That's possible also. But when your wife does make you upset, how is your response to be? Your response is to be a religious response, responding the way the Prophet ﷺ responded. Reminding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what he did in responding to Aisha radiyallahu anha. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa did not respond, even though she upset him by saying Khadija. He did not respond in a manner that was inappropriate. And we take from this, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, لَقَدْ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ That indeed you have in the Messenger of Allah a beautiful example. And as Allah azza wa jah mentions, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى عَظِيمٍ Indeed, you, O Muhammad, you are upon exalted character. And as Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned, our mother, about him, صلى الله عليه وسلم كان خلقه القرآن That his character was that of the Qur'an His character <coughs> was that of the Qur'an Insha'Allah Ta'ala We will stop at this point Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azza wa Jal alone Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself وَسُبْحَانَكَ so, اللَّهُمَ بِحَمْدِكَ شَهَدُوا la لَا anta لَأَنْ تَسْتَغْفِرُكَ مَا